Welcome to Inside Out. Without prejudice or boundaries, this space is for raw and vulnerable conversations surrounding health, mental well-being, relationships, parenthood, and so much more. Our goal is to deliver a conversation that will educate and empower you through shared experiences told by inspiring and relatable guests. My name is Chris. I'm a wife, mum, and stepmom who is on a personal journey that cultivates a life of alignment and intention. I hope these conversations encourage you to do the same. Let's dive deep into today's episode. Welcome back to Inside Out. I am really excited to share this episode with you. Today's guest is Alex from Kids Flourished. Alex is a respectful parent coach and behavioural teacher who has worked in behaviour management for over a decade. Alex created the ultimate signature formula for confidently handling and preventing unwanted behaviours whilst improving your child's wellbeing and self-esteem. Her work is practised in both the family homes and schools and as a mama herself draws on her personal experiences in parenting to confidently help families with their children's behaviour. In this episode, we talk about the many styles of parenting. We also chat on ways we can connect with our children emotionally and provide them with the space for an emotional release. Alex shares the importance of reflection in parenthood and also shares ways we can feel more empowered in parenting and not helpless. If you enjoyed this episode, I would love if you could take the time to leave a quick review on the podcast app. This really helps me spread the word and support more mothers in their motherhood journey. If you do, please send me a quick screenshot of your review and your postal address as I do have a little something that I would like to send you as a thank you. I hope that you enjoy this episode. Alex, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. I'm so excited to have you here. Thanks for having me. You've got a beautiful podcast. I love listening to it. Oh, that's awesome to hear. So can you just share a little bit about you and just a snapshot into your life outside of your work before we dive into the the big stuff? Oh, well, I think uh, being a mum just takes up all of my time and I've got an eight-week-old boy and a three-year-old boy. Um, So, yeah, it's just so much fun and we're also renovating. So, um, very busy outside of work, actually. Yeah. And And whereabouts are you from? Uh, I'm in the Gold Coast. So, yeah, lovely beach, beachy town and, yeah, love it here. I love the Gold Coast. It's definitely on on the list of where we're going to end up. Um, Hubby's not you know, convinced yet, but I reckon one day he'll be totally convinced. I'll just it's love not it so much. too different to Newcastle, though, is it? I think. No, but it's warmer for longer, and I like yes. the, and I like the beach. <laughs> we're starting to get a little cool. I'm in a jumper today because it is a little bit cooler. That crisp morning feel already. So, yeah. Well, look, diving right into the work. You are a respectful parenting coach. First off, what does that actually mean? Well, respectful parenting is based on respecting your children, also having respect for yourself as well and not, uh, it's that balance, Um, but it's all about effective communication, acknowledging feelings and, uh, you know, all that wrapped up into one. It really is understanding that your child is a person too and that comes from infancy. It starts at infancy and it Respectful parenting is based on the Raya approach, which is, um, I believe it was Magda Gerber that sort of coined that term and it was made quite popular by Janet Lansbury, who's got an awesome podcast called Unruffled. Uh, so yeah, that's sort of how I heard about respectful parenting and then as becoming a parent myself, um, that's sort of how I've, I've gone down that journey from teacher, behaviour teacher to, yeah, respectful parenting coach. Amazing. Talk to me about your 
um, studies with becoming a behavioural teacher. What did that look like? Why did that look appealing to you at the start? So I've been a teacher for 10 years and through that process, I, you know, the reason I became a teacher was because I really care about kids' wellbeing. Um, I actually went on the path a little bit later. I didn't go to uni straight from school. And, uh, you know, that was really something I was passionate about. And then from there, I, you know, came across positive psychology. And uh, through that passion, I did a lot of research on how I could include that, uh, that learning and that education within my classroom. Mm. And I had worked at a wonderful school that really took on a lot of the knowledge and the science, the brain science and how children work. And they really, in order for them to learn, they need to be well. And we know that they're, something's not quite right when their behaviour is out of alignment. We know that their well-being is being affected. So well-being and behaviour are, are so linked. And so it was through there, through that study within my school um, that I was able to become a behaviour advisory teacher, which was, was an outside um, classroom role. So I wasn't a classroom teacher anymore. I was coaching parents with kids that had sort of higher behaviour needs and the teachers of those kids as well. And through that, I got to work really closely with those kids. And it was great because connection really is uh, the basis of well, respectful parenting and any uh, you know, behaviour that we want to improve because, yeah, connection is what all children seek. Yeah, it's interesting. As you may have seen on my Instagram, I have four children, two of them are my stepdaughters, and they're aged now 10 and 9. Um, and I came along in 2016, so I think one was just starting kindergarten, uh, maybe one in kindergarten actually. And in that time, I've watched their behaviour and, and their growth in, become, you know, babies to little girls and or now the 10-year-old's like almost a young teenager really with her behaviours and the way that she's, her coping skills are changing and things like that. But the one thing that I've always said along the way of their growth and these, I suppose, hormonal changes as well coming into play um, is they just crave connection from us and when they're emotional or they're feeling really overwhelmed um they crave the connection from us and once we give them that they seem to settle down and, and into their they can deal with things a little bit easier yeah they really need that co-regulation they they're not equipped to regulate their emotions by themselves and you've probably noticed with your girls as they get a bit older there are definitely certain times that they can regulate their emotions by themselves and they're you know starting to develop that maturity but they will always need to come back to an adult to help them with with certain things especially if something's a bit more difficult or they're just having a really hard day which you know we all get we all get those days where we need a hug and we need someone else to help us oh totally yesterday we had Lexi who's nine and she had had a late night the night before she had a friend sleepover and I knew she'd be tired by the end of the day but we made a deal that she'd clean her disgusting bedroom and anyway and it got to the time where she had to clean it and she just threw herself on the ground and was hysterical for the entire period of cleaning her room was just absolutely hysterical and then couldn't stop crying for the rest of the night and then I said you're tired you, you know that and she goes I just can't stop crying please just hold me and I just hugged her and she just cried I'm like we need to just go to bed babe and you'll feel better and this morning she woke up and she's like wow I don't know what happened yesterday but I was out of control she just uh, needed that emotional release and, <laughs> and you know that can come out in 
in ways that we don't often expect. And, and you know, it was so good that you picked up on that she was tired because sometimes we don't know. And, and mm. we also, if our, you know, when our kids are in daycare or at school, we actually don't know what's gone on for them. And they might come home and be a little bit different and also need a bit of an emotional release. And it might be the smallest thing that will trigger it, like the wrong colour cup. And normally that would be fine and that would not normally be an issue, but that day it's an issue because not because of the cup, it's because of what else has gone on. And they might not even know, they might not even be able to explain it, but if we can be there and help them through that emotional release, knowing that, you know, not saying that it's silly or not dismissing dismissing that emotion because it, it really could come from somewhere else and we just don't know. Yeah, so you just touched on something that, you know, you would have tip, give the tip of not to say when a child's in that emotional state what are some other things that you would suggest not to not to speak on and not to say to them when they're out of sorts like that well I think it's just we want to acknowledge the feeling and and yes we might not uh be able to really connect with it or understand that feeling but we can see it and we can you know it's real for them and letting them have that have that release so there's a couple of things we can do here we can we can get down to their level, we can give them a hug with touch and we can connect that way. We can acknowledge the feeling. So be saying, you know, saying things like, I can see that you're frustrated. Um, you know, I can see that you're sad, you're upset. And, you know, the language that we use might depend on their age. However, I would suggest we even from, from as young as, uh, is it Lola? Is that your youngest? Yeah, eight months. Uh, yeah, so even, even they're getting into the habit of, you know, I can see that you're upset or things like that. And that it sort of gets, even though they can't use that language, they still feel seen and heard. And then it gets us into that really good habit as they get older. And then they can start develop developing that language, which is really going to help them uh, be able to express it which, you know, does sometimes, um, you know, with tantrums and things like that can really help help with those, those things because they can, they can say what they're feeling. Um, however, that, always, that doesn't always work. You know, if I say that to my three-year-old, he'll say, I'm not frustrated. And, you know, so sometimes we just need to be there. We just need to be there, see them, hear them. And as you said before with your, uh, with your daughter, just um, holding them and, yeah letting letting them let it out and then you can talk if it's if there's been a behavior during that time you might want to talk about the behavior that came up later when everyone's calm and and sort of work on how you can correct or redirect that behavior but right then and there it's about seeing them and hearing them and um, making sure they realize that they're not alone and you can hold space for those feelings Mm, and I think just for families who do have multiple children as well, something that I have been encouraging the last couple of months with the girls, because there's that age gap between them and Jesse, who's two, and he's in that toddler phase of being quite naughty. And if he doesn't get what he wants, there's tantrums and he throws himself on the ground. And I really noticed the girls getting overwhelmed with that. So they're feeling overwhelmed and they'll project that overwhelm onto him and be like, you know, they'll throw a tantrum in return or speak to him really horribly. And we've just been trying to encourage them to just get down on his level, tell him, even though you don't think he understands you, just tell him why you can't play with him right now, but you'll come and play with him a little bit later or why that toy's broken, et cetera. And I think that since they've started doing that, they recognise when I'm doing it to them, but they calm down a little bit more because they can recognise their own behavioural patterns that's been similar to, say, Jesse's. Um, and, yeah, monkey see, monkey do. So I think that's really important too for families to encourage the older kids to communicate with the younger kids 
in those moments of overwhelm and um, they might actually start to register when they're doing it a little bit. That is such a good idea also because they can then learn to do it to themselves when they're feeling upset about something. They can, um, you know, help themselves. That's that self-regulation that we really want to you know, nurture. Mm. Um, yeah, so I think that that's, that's something really good that you're doing with those girls. Thank you. Um, so why did you feel the method or strategies of respectful parenting were more beneficial in your experience than the alternate parenting methods like attachment parenting, etc.? Because I feel like there's a lot of different labels, um, but they're not too far different from the next. No, they're not. And I don't, I don't necessarily think respectful parenting is any better than attachment parenting or aware parenting or the other um, labels that you might hear. Um, and I know that you had Alita on the podcast recently, and she's the con- conscious parent coach. And I know that she's also an aware parenting coach. And to be honest, I don't actually know the difference. <laughs> I haven't done any research into attachment parenting or, or aware parenting, but from what I see, they're very similar. It's all brain-based. It's all about acknowledging uh, the child and their feelings, being there, that co-regulation. So I, yeah, I really can't answer, answer that very well because I don't know the difference and I don't think there's any right or wrong or better than in in that in that case when you're really you're looking at um, how the brain works, how the developing brain works of the child, which all those parenting strategies do, but mm. then also tuning into yourself and thinking what sits right with me as a parent because it has to work for you. It can't just be, you know, someone said do it this way when it's not going to work for your family, it's not going to work for you, and it's not going to work for your child. So I think, and you're the only one that's going to know that. Mm-hmm. you can test out different things so you know, I suggest um, that people you know do a wide range of re- research you know and make sure it's evidence-based and it is based on your child's developing brain and there is science to back that up um, a great book is the whole brain child so I'd suggest you know starting there and then taking what you think is going to work and trusting your gut and you you know how best you want a parent and um yeah, and having that balance of science and then knowing knowing yourself is that uh, using that intuition, that mama intuition that we all have. Do you have any tips how we as parents, because, you know, if I'm honest, we all lose our shit and I think that's, you know, being quite authentic to to what we do as parents. If you're a stay-at-home mum and you're with babies all day long and it gets to four o'clock and your husband's still not home, it's freaking tiring and draining and for me in particular last week we did have care for Jesse for about two weeks where it was only um, a day or two but it enabled me to just free up my brain and do some things that I want to do and then that um, care didn't work out so I've had him again as normal full-time and him and Lola full-time and it got to the point last week where I was like I don't want to do this anymore I like I don't want to be his mum anymore and I was so overwhelmed and anxious and beside myself I was losing my shit often what do we do when when parents are losing the plot with their kids you know even if they're at an age of two years old do you still feel like we should go and apologize to them and take responsibility for that because let's say that I did that to the older girls they would be very well aware of my actions so I would go and apologize and say look I spoke to you the wrong way and I'm really sorry I didn't mean it I felt this way because do you feel like we need to do that for toddlers as well Definitely. And what you're doing here is when you do have that conversation, when everyone's calm, because if we're not calm when we go in there and try and say sorry, we probably won't say sorry. We'll be like, you made me do this or 
we, we're not going to be calming ourselves to have a proper, you know, properly apologise and, and really then move forward and work on ways that we can fix and, and repair that rupture that's, that we've had. So I suggest waiting until everyone's calm when you do go in and apologise and then you can move forward, you know, if, they, if it was because of a tantrum or if it was because they, you know, they might have hit uh, their sibling or, so, you know, something happened that, that did set you off. Um, what we can do then is that behaviour wasn't okay because we still want to set the boundary and notice that something wasn't right here. It still needs to be corrected. What can you do next time that you feel feel this way? And if, if we're to do that when we're calm, then the toddler sees that it's the behaviour that's the issue, not the toddler. But if we go in there when we're a bit stressed, we might have the tendency to say, you made me feel like that. And really we need to be aware that no one can actually make us feel something, but a behaviour can or an action can. So making sure the toddler is aware that it's the action, not them. And I think we can only really do that when we're calm. And uh, we're, what we're doing then as well is modelling to them how to apologise properly, which can is, a, you know, such a good skill for social, any social interaction that they're going to have, which is a lot. And they're building that social intelligence, building that resilience and also building their self-esteem to know that if they do make a mistake, it can be fixed and teaching them how to do that as well, because we don't want them, you know, making a mistake or, you know, and feeling any shame around that. Uh, either so we're doing two things here we're modeling how to apologize so they can do it later and we're also repairing that relationship and knowing that we can move forward and, and try and fix something that's really really handy thank you so do you have any tips on how mums or dads can switch some of their behaviors that maybe they've had for some time from their own upbringing parenting brings it all up doesn't it <laughs> it does and it's interesting like even when I had Lex in the bedroom you know sobbing and crying and I went in and gave her the cuddle I remember the time when I did that to my mum a bit but she'd put all my things in garbage bags and was throwing everything I own out because I'd refused to clean my room <laughs> a little more traumatic than my than her experience but I had that flashback and it, and it brought it up and that's why I went in and gave her a cuddle because I'm like oh darling it's overwhelming there's a lot to do here <laughs> Yeah, and, and, you know, there are steps that we can do strategy-wise when we know that maybe they are feeling a bit tired, but that's all about reflecting on, on, on something that's, you know, we've seen, okay, that was maybe a bit too much, and as you said, overwhelming, we can go in there and think, okay, maybe we can help them, or we could do a sec, you know, tell her to do a section at a time, then have a break or, you know, break it down or, or something. Okay. Um, but, yes, so having that co-regulation, having that hug at the end and um, letting her know that it's okay, but she still needs to clean her room. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're devastated when you say that at the end. It's like it still needs to happen. Yeah, it still needs to happen. But, yes, it does, it does bring up all of our stuff. And I think reflection is just such a powerful tool. Uh, as a teacher, we, we learned that at uni, uh, you know, through all our pracs, reflecting on our, how a lesson went. And I think it's even as parents, it's really important to think at the end of the day, that didn't go well. And instead of feeling helpless and hopeless about it, think, what can I do next time to change it? Um, and there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of information out there. Um, there's also a lot of places that you can get help. And um, yeah, I think that having, again, that using your intuition, thinking that that didn't go well, and then exploring what you could do to, to help for next time can really make us feel empowered in our parenting rather than hopeless in our, in, 
that in our parenting. And that's, that sort of comes from a bit of that positive psychology of we don't want to feel helpless. Mm-hmm. We want to feel, um, you know, that we're empowered and that we can move forward. We want, also want to teach that to our kids as well. So that's a lot of what I what I teach, um, you know, in modelling that how to move through a problem and then coming out the other end and, and coming up with some solutions for a problem rather than just feeling a bit helpless or dismissing it and forgetting it. Mm. Oh gosh, that resonates so much with me and currently where we're at. And I'm finding so often that there's things coming up for me in my parenting journey that I know that I have smushed down for a really long time and I know that I need to deal with them um, because I don't want to pass on these emotions, I guess, of instability onto my kids and uh, insecurity onto my kids. Um, Something for me as a child, I recall my need to feel safe. And even though my father wasn't particularly present in my childhood, he was there. He, was, he wasn't a bad man. He didn't do anything wrong. He just was, couldn't handle being a solo dad. So he wasn't around too much. And one thing I never felt was safe unless I was with him. And I, I attached that to him. So something for my children. And I'm really lucky my husband, I think that's partially why we fell in love. And, and I chose him is because he's such a good dad. And his main priority will always be his children and putting them first and them feeling safe and that security. So I think that it's so important to make sure that whenever the kids are communicating, like I feel overwhelmed, I feel that instability or that insecurity, then we need to reestablish why and, and enforce that protection around them. Yeah, and that's where boundaries can come into play as well because they've got to feel safe within themselves and safe within that those those big emotions as well. They want to they want to they want you to be able to hold space for that or they want to know that you can and because those big feelings can be quite scary. So I think it really starts there for our young kids. Mm-hmm. It's when they do uh, have an outburst of emotion that you're there to hold space for it and you don't dismiss it or you don't tell them off because or yeah set a boundary there of course if there's an if there's an and behavior that's coming out due to that but you are still holding space for those those big feelings that are coming out and that's where safety starts I guess so Alex you are a mum what do you think was the biggest surprise or lesson for you after becoming a mama in terms of the difference between teaching children and parenting strategies but now you're implementing those strategies in your own parenting experiences I think you said it yourself. Uh, parenting brings all your stuff up, mm. and um, yeah, and it, yeah, I, I think no one can get away from that. Whereas when you're teaching, it's a job. Uh, you know, it's five hours face to face. There's planning that goes into it, and uh, I guess there's definitely more emotion when it comes to parenting. And I don't want to say teaching doesn't have the emotion because, man, you get attached to those kids. Mm. But um, parenting's just that, that, it's that different different type of emotion. And they're, they're part of you, they're from you. So I think that really does, that does make that stuff come up and you care for them so deeply and you want so much for them. And I think that, um, and there's also that pressure there, uh, which I didn't think I would feel as much doing after doing all the research from the feeling that everyone's watching you yeah Yeah. when you're out and about in public you think that you've got to have your child behaving a certain way and they don't they're children they they're you know they do what they they do what they do because it's developmental they haven't learnt um they haven't lived you know the 20 odd years of life that uh we have when we become parents and they don't know those social cues and they've got to learn all that. And they learn that through 
doing the wrong things or doing socially inappropriate things. And mm-hmm. that's, you know, how, where the teaching comes from. So I think that's hard. And, uh, yeah, just the emotion, I think. Yeah, that fear of judgment, I think, definitely sits with me because I've really been noticing lately I'm apologising a lot for Jesse and his behaviour, whether it's at the park or at the shops or whatever. I'm always saying, oh, sorry, oh, sorry. And now I'm kind of like, I don't really want to be sorry. I don't really care if you take someone's truck. Like, well, your kid wasn't playing with it. So you can play with it. It's a park. Like everyone shares. We take our trucks down to the park. I make him share. If a kid takes it, he takes it. It doesn't phase me. Um, And, you know, I know other parents can be a little bit funny about that. So I find that that I'm constantly apologising for him. And then I think, why should I be sorry? He's a little boy that's just playing with a, a truck that's available. Like he's not doing anything wrong. Um, and then his behavior, you know, in Westfield the other day, he ended up on my shoulders and I had the baby, um, the eight month old Lola in the double pram. And I was put the groceries were in one side of the pram. I had Lola and then Jesse on my shoulders because he runs away. Otherwise he was kicking me in the face at the time. And I had all these people looking at me and I felt so judged. And I, but then I was like, you know what? Screw you guys. This is how the kid's going to get to the car without me having to carry him like a footy and hurting myself. So we're going to do it this way. Um, and I think you've got to, when you're sitting in that motherhood, you know, the trenches of mum life and you've got the tantrums and the the hardships daily, you've just got to sit in it and go, well, is anyone going to die? No. Let's just ignore other people's eyes because they don't matter. We don't even know these people. Why, why are we letting their opinions or their, this judgment that we've probably made up in our head let's be honest the other mums looking at us are probably going god I feel sorry for her or I wish I could help her they're probably not judging us it's just us making it up that story in our mind and we've just got to let it go and do what's best for us our children that are with us and move through the day that's so right and you know we've got to get our kids into a calm space as quickly as possible so we can help with that co-regulation, we're not going to be able to co-regulate with them right in the middle of a shopping centre when the lights are blaring and um, there's noise everywhere and there's so much stimulation that's not going to happen. So no. we need to get and we need to get them into a safe space, especially if they're going to run away. Safety is the number one priority, and I think uh, when we've got that, then we can move on to the co-regulation and things like that. We can't do that in the middle of a shopping centre. So, mm. and yes, you're right. No one is going. Everyone's going, poor mum, not. <laughs> they're probably not thinking, oh, what is she doing? They they understand. They understand. A hundred percent. And I like what you just said there about the co-regulation, um, in particular with a shopping centre and the light, bright lights and the noise and the lots of people and things. Um, it's something that I think we, we're all pretty quick to forget when we're sitting in that moment of toddler screaming because we've just made them leave the, the fun little area that they're in at the shopping centre. Um, and if we can just look at that, take, just from this conversation, just take that into place next time we're at the shops. I think that'll make a huge difference for us in the, how we handle our toddler and removing them from where they want to be in the situation of bright lights and lots of noise and lots of other kids and families around. Yeah, that's so right. Yeah. One last question for you, Alex, before you go, what are some tips for mums who are feeling at a bit of a loss right now with their toddler's behaviour? I think making sure that you know that it's normal and it's developmental and it's fine and it's a phase. <laughs> That's probably number one. However, it doesn't really, it's not easy when you're in it. So um, I share over on my Instagram lots of tips and tricks that you can try. And I think, you know, doing doing your own research and then also thinking about what's going to work for you and your child 
reflecting on after an incident on the moment. And there's lots of stuff that you can do in the moment. So if it's tantrums, acknowledging the feelings first and uh, helping your child move through that big, big feeling, acknowledging it. And then if it needs to be spoken about after, when everyone's calm, have a chat about it as well. You know, that that really upset you when, um, you know, your sister took your truck or, you know, whatever, whatever happened in that moment. I often find with tantrums that sometimes they can come about due to tiredness or uh, overstimulation. Yeah. yeah, so things like that. So just about understanding possibly where it might be coming from. And we can only really do that if we step back and reflect and we know that it's not because of us. Mm. It's developmental and that as when we can um, start to calm ourselves and be calm in that moment, knowing that it's not us and sort of as much as we are intertwined with our kids, sort of coming out of that and knowing that we're the adult, we're going to try and help them regulate here and it might last a while, but we're going to sit with them. And, and, and the longer that we do that or the more that we do that, the less the tantrums happen and they don't get so severe because they know that they're safe they know that we can hold those big feelings as I mentioned before safety really comes from them not being you know those big feelings can be really scary so if we can't handle them then how scared is that toddler going to be thinking I can't my parents can't handle this Mm. and I so what am I going to do and it's just going to make them lose it even more because they're out of they're out of control and they've got no one to help them because we're scared uh so we really need to hold space and know that this is completely normal as stressful as it is because it is stressful it will pass and if we can remain calm and then help them co-regulate or sorry help them regulate with co-regulation by being there either at their level with you know we might say talk to them about their emotions or or not depending on how they're reacting to that that might set some more kids off more um so just you know really tuning into our child but not getting so intertwined that we're losing it as well Mm, that's so helpful thank you so much for all of your wisdom time and energy and everything today alex it's been lovely chatting with you for anyone that's going to want to connect with you because i know so many moms listening are going to want to find your page where do they find you it's at kids flourish on instagram so that's when where i share all my stuff Really? Yeah. So that's probably the main place that people can find me. And from there, I've got links to my website and things like that, which is kidsflourish.net. Awesome. I'll put all of that in the show notes regardless. So everyone. Thank you so much, Chris. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Inside Out. I really want to grow in this space and make sure these stories and experiences are heard. If this episode resonated with you, I would love to hear from you. Please leave me a review and hit subscribe to ensure you don't miss our next conversation. Please also join me on Instagram and let me know what you thought about this episode at Inside Out with Chris. I can't wait to share more with you really soon.